Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for December 1st, 2021. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and we are very happy to be joining you today in the 12th month of the year. Uh, we took last week off for Thanksgiving, but we've got a lot of great news stories that came out in the last couple of weeks. And as always, I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here, Tom, on this fantastic International Ar Antarctica Day. That's right. Um, thankfully, we're not quite as glacial as the neighbor to the south, but we do have some exciting hot news stories that we want to make sure that we bring to you, starting off with uh, some news about a chip fab. Samsung has the eyes of Texas upon it as they announce the opening of a new fab facility. They are looking to invest about $17 billion to open a facility in Taylor, Texas, which is just northeast of Austin. Uh, construction on the first half of the facility will begin next year in 2022 with a projected opening date of 2024. The site will be almost 54 million square feet and will be projected to be a huge part of Samsung's global chip production facilities going forward. Stephen, what makes the South Korean manufacturing giant so interested to put a plant deep in the heart of Texas? Well, I think one thing that makes them interested is all that sweet, sweet Texas money that they're getting to uh, in tax breaks and uh, subsidies. But the other thing is, uh, quite frankly, we're in the midst of a global chip shortage. I think we might have mentioned that previously on the show. And frankly, we need more fab capacity. And uh, Samsung and others are seeing an opportunity to build fab capacity here in the good old United States of America, since we have a bunch of... Uh, protective uh, nationalists uh, around, uh, running around saying we need to have this capability uh, here in the U.S. So what we're seeing is uh, companies like Intel and, yes, Samsung and TSMC uh, looking at building plants in the U.S. to produce more chips for all the glorious things that are manufactured here. Um, now, that being said, uh, this is uh, there's an interesting angle here, and that is that Austin already has uh, chip manufacturing, and this is a, an acceleration of that trend there in Austin. Also uh, interesting is the fact that Austin might not seem like the most likely place for this because um, you may not know about this, but the, the, the place doesn't have a lot of water, and there's actually a lot of water used in manufacturing chips. Uh, also, Texas has had issues with their power grid, and you use a lot of power manufacturing chips. You got to keep the power on or it causes big disruptions like our current global supply shortage. Um, but that being said, as I said at the beginning, all that sweet, sweet Texas subsidy makes them say, OK, we're going to locate there anyway. So I guess we'll see how it goes. Um, I think that this is good news, uh, probably good news for those of us who buy equipment because uh, we're going to have another source of it. Tom, uh, let's look over at our friend's uh, riverbed. We got uh, an interesting uh, mail message, actually literally a mail message, uh, saying that they are restructuring uh, because of COVID-related challenges. Uh, riverbed announced that they're filing Chapter 11 debt reorganization, uh, supported by uh, all the lenders that have a stake in the company. Uh, riverbed has taken, uh, was taken private in 2014 by Tom Bravo and OTPP for $3.6 billion dollars. Uh, it's going to cut its debt load by a billion dollars through this restructuring. Uh, control of the debt equity will pass to the junior partners and senior leaders that will be converted to new notes with preferred equity. Uh, Tom, uh, what do you think about this riverbed plan? The irony to me is that there was really not a whole lot of discussion about it before the news came out, which I guess is one of the things that you get when you're a private company. And it seems that it's pretty equitable on all sides. Um, this is the issue that you run into when you take a company private. 
And uh, we've seen a lot of companies that have buckled under this load. I think the one that just immediately springs to mind for some reason is Toys R Us. Um, they get bought out, they get saddled with a whole bunch of debt, and then they eventually can't keep up. And and Riverbed was pretty upfront. Hey, you know, shutting down a whole bunch of factories that manufacture the stuff that we sell wasn't a good thing. But it looks to me like what they're really trying to do is they're trying to get some of their long-term lenders to maybe be a little bit more comfortable shouldering some new notes, maybe with lower interest rates. And then the junior partners get to get a little bit more equity out of it in the, in the shorter term. Um, I think this is overall a good thing. Um, one of the things that we typically see from companies like Tama Bravo when they buy a, a larger company that has a lot of interests is that they want to split it up and they want to sell off the pieces as cheaply as they can to recover their investment. And we're not seeing that with Riverbed, which is a good thing. Because Riverbed is a company that has a lot of interesting technology that works really well together, not so much when it's being um, parceled out in discrete pieces. And I think that the ability to restructure the debt so that they can ramp back up and kind of compete in those the markets that where they've been successful uh, will have a better impact overall for investors than just saying, you know what, let's get what we can get and have a fire sale. And and I think that the the fact that there weren't trumpets being blasted from the top of Riverbed's headquarters uh, talking about the demise of all of this stuff kind of underlies that, that Tama Bravo really wants this thing to succeed. All right, Stephen, uh, did you know that there is a new project being hosted by the Linux Foundation that came out this week? It's called Open Bytes. It's a nonprofit data project designed to establish licensing foster standardization and data governance, and expand access to open data projects, which is becoming a really hot topic. Um, it's supported by Gravity, um, who you talked to for your Utilizing AI podcast yesterday. Now, Stephen, what should we make of all of this? Yeah, the Open Bytes project is pretty cool. Um, Gravity is pretty cool. So essentially, uh, if you don't know very much about the world of machine learning and artificial intelligence, well, first, go subscribe to the Utilizing AI podcast. But second, um, the thing you need to know is that machine learning is based on effectively two things, the model and the data that's fed into the model. And you can kind of understand, right, if, if it's learning, right, it's, it's based on what you're learning. Well, uh, those data sets are actually pretty hard to come by. It's one of those things that I liken to uh, when I first got a 3D printer, I was like, cool, I can make stuff, but what am I going to make? I don't have anything to make. I have to design something now. Well, it's kind of like that with machine learning too, because you've got this, uh, you know, this technology, but you need data to fit into it. And a lot of companies, frankly, don't have a data set to use, whether it is you know, traffic patterns or weather or you know, finance or even uh, very specific industry-specific vertical stuff. Um, on the flip side, uh, the uh, a lot of companies actually have a lot of that data, but they kind of don't know what to do with it. Uh, imagine if you're like a, a traffic light company and you've got all this traffic light monitoring data, but you're not doing an ML project. You might not know what to do with it um, and where to put it or if you can use it. Uh, OpenBytes, I think, is designed to kind of try to bridge that gap. In other words, it's, it's a way to give a, a standard format for massive, massive open unstructured data sets that can then be used by uh, open source or uh, academic machine learning projects. It's a really, really cool thing. You can think of it as kind of like GitHub or Thingiverse for data. Um, 
Another aspect of this, though, that is equally important, and this is in why the Linux Foundation is so important to be involved, is because there's a lot of legal and uh, kind of contractual requirements for data sets as well, and you've got to make sure that you're using things correctly. Um, that's all going to be taken care of by this project as well. So it's launching today, actually right now. Um, and if you click through, you can, uh, you can see uh, more about it and learn more about it if you're into machine learning and data science. It really is pretty cool. Next up, Tom, uh, let's talk uh, cybersecurity a little bit. Uh, the firm XM Cyber was purchased last week by a German retail conglomerate. Schwartz Group, which operates discount retailer Little and grocery store chain Kaufland, announced that they would be acquiring the threat analysis company for around $700 million. Reports say that XM Cyber will continue to be an independently operated unit. Uh, Tom, why is a grocery store operator interested in cybersecurity? Well, it was right next to the milk and the toilet paper. Impulse buy. No, I, I kid, I kid. I actually, I was really curious about this when I started looking at it because I'm like, why would a retail operator suddenly be interested in a cybersecurity company? Oh, wait, yeah, that's right, because everyone's getting infected with ransomware. Um, this actually, to me, looks like a very strategic purchase on, on behalf of Schwartz Group. Um, first thing you have to understand about these big conglomerates is they own tons of stuff. It's basically like an investment portfolio for them. It just so happens that their two biggest properties happen to be a discount retailer and a grocery store. But more importantly, they're looking for a synergy here because what they're trying to do is they're trying to use XM Cyber's threat modeling capabilities to kind of do some investigative work to uh, do posture assessments and things like that, which is something that XM Cyber is really, really good at. I had a chance to talk to them several times uh, before the pandemic at RSA and, and some other events. But more importantly, by bolstering their capabilities in this area through a, like a subsidiary that's kind of independently operated, they can position themselves to be a company that is very focused on retail operations security. So we hear a lot about this with companies that are very focused on healthcare or financial or other heavily regulated industries, because you kind of have to know the, the rules of the road to be able to play there and to, to meet those guidelines, right? So, you know, if a company comes up to me and goes, you know, we're number one in, uh, in medical security or patient privacy security, like I don't even think about that anymore because that's totally a, a vertical that you can slice into. But what if a company came up to Walmart or Target or Kroger or any large manufacturer or any large retail company and said, hey, we're number one at threat modeling for things like point of sale systems or inventory control or what have you? That would ring a lot of bells for me. Could you imagine if a logistics network like Walmart suddenly got um, violated by ransomware and it shut down the ability to ship a whole bunch of stuff to their stores, you know, during the busiest season of the year? I would be scared to death. But with a company like XM Cyber to be able to step in and say, hey, we know what to look for. We know how to protect you. That's a huge selling point. So I think this was short term. This is to help Schwartz Group stores avoid getting infected because we heard stories about a, a Swedish supermarket that was basically shut down uh, by uh, some earlier malware this summer. More importantly, it's a strategic play to position this company to be the premier retail operation security platform. So here's hoping it works out. All right, Stephen, we wanted to take a closer look at a couple of stories that are coming up. Um, I don't know if you know, but it's the most wonderful time of the year. 
Yes, it's that time when Las Vegas gets taken over by a small online bookstore. Um, of course, AWS reInvent is happening live and in person this week through December the 3rd. And the event is getting a lot of attention this year, not only because it's in person, but because it's one of the first times that we're going to be able to be hearing from CEO Adam Selepsky since uh, Andy Jassy got this sweet job getting kicked upstairs to run all of Amazon since uh, Jeff Bezos is probably planning a trip to go live on Europa or something like that. Um, but Stephen, there are a ton of announcements that come out during AWS reInvent. All you got to do is Google for AWS reInvent announcements and you'll just get hammered with a whole bunch of stuff. But what's your take on what's going on here at Amazon, especially because we've had a CEO changeover since the last time we heard from them? What are you looking for to come out of this event? Well, I think that last bit is the thing that's most important to me, Tom, the CEO changeover. Uh, many of you aren't familiar uh, with Adam Slipsky as you are, uh, you know, with the uh, previous uh, tenant of the office there. But uh, as you mentioned, uh, since uh, Jeff Bezos is off exploring space and, uh, you know, everybody else is uh, doing something else. I guess, I guess Solipsky will do. No, uh, the point is um, they brought this, uh, this uh, gentleman in uh, from Tableau Software to help run uh, AWS as a business uh, quite a while back. Uh, he's got a lot of experience, but frankly, uh, from the outside looking in, I'm seeing that there's some fundamental differences between Solipsky and Jassy. And I think that it's really, really telling. So let me start by saying that um, AWS has, for the longest time, been focused on what they call foundational services. And um, in an awesome, awesome substack by a friend of uh, the show and a friend of mine, uh, John Furrier, um, he talks about how these are effectively Lego blocks for building applications. In other words, uh, when you go to reInvent, as uh, Corey Quinn is uh, fond to point out, you will see announcements right left and center. You will see 50 new products, 100 new products. All of these you can think of as different sizes and colors of Lego bricks. And the idea is that a company would come to AWS and would basically assemble their own cloud application using all of these various Lego bricks. So you want to make a spaceship? Um, sure, let's go ahead. Uh, you want to make a pony? Yeah, we can do that too. Uh, and we can use pretty much the same bricks or, you know, a uh, combination uh, to make that. That's really different from some of the competitors. So if you look at what Microsoft is doing or Google, they're really focused on what's called SaaS, software as a service, which is essentially, uh, oh, you want email? Here's Gmail as a service. You know, oh, you want something else? Well, here's a thing that we make that you can sign up for and use. AWS has never been like that. It's really fun foundational. And I think that a lot of that has to do with Jassy. Effectively, his philosophy was building blocks, plug together, make your own services, your own custom services. That's why I'm watching this announcement and this change very, very carefully, because Solipsky is not like that. This is a guy who came from business intelligence and analytics. In other words, he came out of the world of high-end enterprise software and he's going to come at AWS with that kind of vision, if not that kind of blinders. In other words, he's going to be looking not at foundational services, but at moving AWS up into different vertical applications and horizontal. So, for example, one of the things that Solipsky talked with Furrier about was uh, using uh, basically call centers in Amazon and a whole like package, a whole call center customer contact package built in Amazon. You wouldn't have really seen an emphasis on that from somebody like Jassy because that's a functional service. Uh, it's a software as a service product. 
Similarly, you're going to see vertical services rolling out for various uh, businesses that, again, they can you know, basically sign up for, plug in, and use. This is a really fundamental difference. And frankly, it should have Microsoft and Google scared to death because the real differentiator between AWS uh, on the one hand and Microsoft, Google, and other clouds on the other hand is this differentiator that AWS has always been really developer-focused and developer-friendly in building these, these components, whereas these others are SaaS, you know, Salesforce, companies like that. Well, guess what? AWS is in the SaaS business now. They're going to compete head-to-head with big companies like Salesforce, Google, Microsoft, really for the first time. And I think that that's going to be a very big change for the company, and it's going to be really interesting to keep our eyes on that as uh, Amazon and reInvent continue. Now, that being said, there were also some other announcements. Uh, Another one that I'm really keen on seeing was the Graviton 3, Amazon's uh, in-house designed ARM chip. Uh, We also see Intel's Ice Lake uh, Xeon scalable processors being launched in AWS instances and many, many other things. Tom, uh, did you look at things outside of the Slipsky change? I did, actually. There were two big announcements that I thought, well, they're not huge to the industry, but they're big to me personally. The first one um, I actually wrote a little bit about on gestaltit.com today, and that is the fact that Amazon is getting into the private 5G LTE space. Um, It's a trial right now. Um, They're going to be offering a private 5G network. And a lot of people jumped in their ring and said, hey, Amazon's going to become a phone company. Mm -mm. Nope. Amazon is going to become a connected IoT company. They are going to start putting SIM card slots in all of their IoT devices. Why would you want to do that? Well, I don't know. If I sell you the device and I sell you the network and I operate it for you, that's a big deal. Uh, The article that I wrote actually talks about 5G security, which is a huge um, upgrade for a lot of things that you wouldn't normally think about. But I think Amazon's throwing their hat over the fence to try to get ahead of IoT adoption seeing where the market's going. The other thing that kind of ties into that a little bit, but is also a bigger announcement when you think about it, is support for IPv6 only instances. Um, We all know that IPv4 address space is running out. I just wrote an article about the ham-handed, dumb idea of marking previously unavailable address space as available and how much chaos it will cause. And Amazon responded to that by going, you know what? we'll just let you not even need to run IPv4. Um, There's some technical details behind the scenes that actually make it make a whole lot of sense. But it also is a huge deal for IoT devices because if I don't need to run IPv4 on those, if they're only going to communicate internally to the instance, why would I need to worry about it? I think Amazon, to your point, Stephen, is looking at these services that they can operate, but also they are trying to future-proof things because they understand that the the cloud can only grow so much before they're going to have to start feeding their customers new things to consume. All due deference to Jassy, you can build as many Lego bricks as you want, but if you don't start selling people the instructions to build things that you think are going to be useful, you're eventually going to get people with piles of bricks in the corner and nothing to do with them. And so I think that we're going to start seeing more of these kinds of announcements where they're going to be trialing these services, when they're going to be trialing these um, foundational pieces that actually build to a larger um, service-oriented architecture going forward. Uh, We'll be able to take advantage of them, obviously, for various reasons. 
But I think ultimately what you're going to see, like you mentioned, is that shift from Amazon selling you bricks to selling you the services to install the bricks they sell to build a house that they will then clean for you on a regular basis. Tom, let's turn our attention to another story now. Did NSO Group wake a sleeping giant? That appears to be the case, as Apple has announced a lawsuit against the maker of the Pegasus intelligence software that we've previously discussed here on The Rundown. After being sanctioned by the U.S. government last month, Apple came out swinging, saying they wanted to hold the NSO Group and their parent company, OSY Technologies, accountable for targeting Apple devices and Apple customers. Also mentioned is that these tools are used not only by their intended users, but also by individual attackers and state-sponsored groups in questionable countries. Apple has further added fuel to the fire by informing journalists and other parties when they've been targeted by Pegasus, including a Polish prosecutor investigating potential voter fraud. Tom, what does this mean for the future of NSO and Pegasus? And is Apple putting their money where their mouse is when it comes to privacy? I absolutely think that Apple has decided that the gloves are off. Um, there's, an, there's a lawsuit that's working its way through the U.S. court system right now from WhatsApp that you know kind of highlights a lot of these same questions that that NSO group used Pegasus to invade WhatsApp chats and steal information and stuff like that. But that's a software application running on top of a hardware platform, right? Um, this is fundamental. This is the manufacturer of that platform coming out and flat out saying, you embarrassed us, you violated our, our capabilities. And then when we close holes, you find new ones and you're selling these tools to anybody who will buy them. If you haven't gone out and listened to the Darknet Diaries podcast series about the NSO group, I absolutely recommend that you do. Jack Recider does an amazing job of exposing that while the NSO group says that they thoroughly vet people that they sell this to, reality is completely different. And this Polish prosecutor is a perfectly good example. Um, she's investigating a massive potential voter fraud, a, a mail-in voter um, scam, effectively. And the Polish government has said, well, we didn't do it, but Apple detected all kinds of signs of NSO's Pegasus being installed on her phone. And so you've got the left hand and the right hand not getting in sync. And Apple's basically saying, you know what, we're going to fix it. And so they have, it, here's the deal, except for maybe Disney, Apple has the greatest group of lawyers ever created. And they're just champing at the bit to go after this group. And NSO is vehemently denying any of this, which is kind of, you know, closing the barn door after the horse got out because we, we've seen reports that are slowly being released of the fact that they, in fact, do sell to people that they know they shouldn't be selling to. And the fact that they got sanctioned by the U.S. government after all of this started coming out kind of tells me that maybe they dipped their fingers into the pot one time too many. Um, I expect what will happen is what we've seen Apple do in previous court cases, which is they will not dismiss, they will not settle, they will hunt this completely to the ground and do as much discovery as possible, not only to find out how NSO was getting into their devices, but to expose who was being used. In fact, I wouldn't honestly be surprised if they didn't go after the target list, or at the very least the customer list, and then publicly release it so that everybody knows who is using this. Um, now, here's the question that I have. Is this going to cause NSO Group to shut down? Is this going to cause them to do the same thing that the people that they're trying to fight against do when they get too much spotlight on them, which is go to ground and hide? Because I honestly would not be shocked to see NSO Group kind of dissolve 
and disappear in the hopes that this will cause the litigation to go away, which is actually one of the reasons why I think Apple was really smart to, to also name OSY Technologies, the holding group, in the lawsuit. That means that they can't just dissolve the company and run away. Um, I, I'm cautiously optimistic that Apple is actually kind of going to bat for their users, and I'm really curious to see how this court case uh, shakes out. But, you know, caveat, sue or, um, this is going to take years because there's going to be stalling tactics and discovery and investigations and all kinds of stuff. I mean, the WhatsApp lawsuit's been going on for two years, and it's just now coming to trial. I mean, Stephen, you're a huge privacy advocate, and we've talked about Pegasus on a, on a fairly regular basis. You know, what do you think about it? Yeah, I think you hit most of the points there. Um, you know, the most important being that last bit, that what's most likely to happen here is the same thing that happened with ransomware groups in the past, is they just shut the thing down, start up somewhere else. I mean, these are mushrooms, and um, and they grow in the dark. And as soon as you shine a light on them, they wither, and then they spring up somewhere else. Um, on the other hand, though, this is a real company with real customers that's really registered. So maybe it's not quite a mushroom. Uh, maybe it's something that really is going to get hurt by these kind of lawsuits. I think another thing that I'll point out, too, is in relation to this, that Apple is really kind of showing their cards about how they're going to approach these things in the future. And to me, the most interesting thing was this idea that they would send out push notifications when um, people had been affected by ransomware of this type. That could be a really, really interesting change and a really nice upgrade for Apple users. I mean, can you imagine uh, if you started uh, getting push notifications saying, hey, you know, a state-sponsored terrorist group is uh, uh, attacking your phone? I mean, that would be pretty amazing. So, yeah, there's some really interesting aspects to this. And uh, I'll leave it uh, just by saying that I'm really, really pleased uh, and proud of Apple here that they are on the right side of this thing and that they're using the law the way that it should be used, which is to uh, basically stand up for the rights of themselves and their customers. Uh, if you remember, one of the reasons that Apple has standing to sue here is because the NSO group apparently was uh, illegally, or at least uh, against the rules of the contract, uh, using Apple's libraries and executables and distributing Apple software uh, no joke uh, against the, against the law in a way that that, that, that was pro prohibited to do. Uh, we can't have companies doing things like that. Um, without that, they wouldn't have been able to have this kind of exploit. And Apple is finally standing up and saying, yeah, you know what? We're going to take you down for doing that. So anyway, I, I really am excited to see where this thing goes because I think that it's good news for, uh, for average uh, phone users, but also uh, globally for uh, privacy and human rights. Yeah, and we will definitely be keeping up with the story as it develops. Um, like I said, it's going to take a while, but you know, thankfully, we bring you the rundown every week. So as soon as there's something new and exciting to talk about, whether it's with this story or AWS or, or pretty much anything, we'll be here uh, to bring you that coverage. Um, speaking of which, Stephen, um, we've got some things coming up in the next couple of weeks that should be of interest to our audience. I think the biggest one for me is, of course, Networking Field, a service provider, which will be happening next week. Um, it will be December 8th and 9th. Uh, we'll have uh, great presentations from Cisco, DriveNets, and Arista, and we have a great lineup of delegates as well. I, I highly recommend you head over to the website, techfieldday.com, click on the link for Networking Field Day Service Provider, and check out uh, what you're, what you're going to see there. Um, Stephen, what have you got that uh, is coming up that people should definitely be checking out? Well, the big thing for me is uh, Amazon AWS reInvent, which is going on this week. And of course, I'm going to be taking a very uh, keen interest in that event. So if you go to uh, reInvent, uh, you'll be able to, to see more about those announcements. That continues through tomorrow. 
then we've got a bit of a lull uh, until the new year comes around and uh, we'll see more Tech Field Day events. So I'll just give a shout out there. If you go to techfieldday.com, you can see a list of upcoming events from us. Yes. And also, uh, we will be recording episodes of The Rundown all through December uh, because the news doesn't stop just because the holiday season is upon us. And you can tune in every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern Time to watch our episodes. You can also subscribe in your favorite podcast application. Um, if you would uh, rather listen to us when you're out for a walk uh, in the unseasonably warm weather as of right now. But, um, you know, we encourage you to follow us on Twitter. Uh, we're at Gestalt IT. You can also check out the uh, archive of rundown episodes on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Gestalt IT video. You can also find out more about um, some of the other things that we do at Gestalt IT, including our on-premise IT roundtable, uh, some of our unboxing videos, and some other cool content that you definitely want to check out. Um, but we will be back next Wednesday with more great news from the IT enterprise IT space. And uh, if you have a story that you'd like to see us cover, make sure you tweet at Gestalt IT and use the hashtag rundown. And we will absolutely uh, take a look at it and give you our thoughts and perspectives on it. Uh, so for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for Stephen Foskett, and the rest of our Gestalt IT rundown crew, thank you very much for tuning in. Have a happy Wednesday, and we will see you next week. 